All right, deep breath and switch gears into the new series that we're calling The Narrow Path. And um, this is... This, this, this uh, verse has always struck me as a very difficult verse when I was growing up because it was always the sort of like, you know, meant certain things that I don't, I don't think that's what it meant. <laughs> but, but, but it was communicated in a way to say, hey, look, uh, our particular church, yeah, we're the narrow way. Everybody else, they're the broad way, you know, it's, it's kind of that, that, that kind of message, you know. But it's much more narrow than that for as far as Jesus is concerned because um, the, the verse that we'll look at, and here's the, here's the idea that, that this is being built upon, this whole narrow um, gate or small gate and narrow path. Um, these are the gates that were in Jerusalem. Um, that that's, what was, that's, that's the context. And so when Jesus says um, there's two roads, two paths, he is doing something that had been done many, many, many times by many other writers that existed before him. This is a common way of communicating. Here's what, what religious reforms need to take place within our community. And so Greek writers, Roman writers, and early Christian writers used this uh, binary, the wide path, narrow road, small gate, big gate. They all used it. And they were all saying, here's the right way. Here's the narrow path. Here's the actual way to get there. Now I'm looking for it in commentaries by scholars, but I haven't found it yet. So I'm going to say this and it's probably wrong because <laughs> I think it's right. So who knows, you know, I mean, I just, I, but what's interesting about this is that you notice that the gates are entry into Jerusalem. And that the narrow paths or the wide paths would have preceded the, 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 uh, those gates. Right? That makes sense, right? So far, the, the paths would have led to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was perceived to be the city of God. This was where God lived. This was a picture of heaven on earth. This was the, the intersection uh, of the two. Um, this was uh, the picture for people when they came into Jerusalem. Okay, this is the, this is the space. This is the place where God lives. <clears throat> and so the place to the city of God or to the kingdom of God would have been traveled through. And what writers would talk about would say it would go through the narrow path and the small gate. That's how you enter into the true kingdom or the true heaven that awaits us. Now, what's interesting is the way Jesus says it is a bit different, I think. Matthew 7, 13, enter through the narrow gate. Okay, so he starts with the gate. You with me so far? Not the path to the gate, to the city. He starts with the gate. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road. You see the sequential order that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. So the, the, the thought I have, again, that's probably wrong, is that the idea was not coming into this picture of what, look, what was in the mind of the ancient Jews, which was, 
Jerusalem being the central place where God lived, and this is where you came into to find your peace, your joy, your heaven on earth. But rather, it was you would exit this city and you would go on a journey toward this place of either destruction or life. Have I confused you? Okay. Right. So my, my sense is that what this is about is about a journey um, that involves exiting and leaving our current states to go on this path, wherever we are in our lives, we are always on a path or on a journey, leaving what seems to be a comfortable place, a home for us to enter into that which is unknown and uncertain and uncomfortable and scary, but promises life. So some of you are familiar with, um, <clears throat> with uh, uh, Lord of the Rings and um, the Shire, right? So Frodo has to leave his home, the Shire, which is comfortable, which is safe. And he has to enter onto this road, which is a dangerous road. And that road is fraught with all kinds of perils. But in the end, this is his path to life. And this is the path for all of us is a path to life. But it is not one that is easy. And people that go on the path um, that is wide, the analogy here is that it's wide so that so many people can go through it at the same time. And there's a sense of, it's almost by default. You don't have to think, you don't have to be really intentional. You don't have to suffer that much. It's a safety in numbers, correct. And that is a big thing for a lot of people. And so many churches, we fall into the same trap and I fall into the same trap. It's like group think, come in here, buy into what we're talking about here, believe what we believe. And then many folks just sort of go on automatic pilot and just enter in and join on that wide. They enter through that wide gate because wide is, it's open wide. Come in, everybody, you know, it's, it's uh, all you have to do is just do this, this, and this, and you're in, and then you're guaranteed heaven. You do these things, you pray a certain prayer, you, 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 you give to the church, you attend the church, you do these things, and you're gonna get to heaven. Now that's not how we enter in. None of your stories, I've heard your stories, that's not how it happened for you. Many of you had profound spiritual awakenings. That's what caused you to start on the path. But what ends up happening over time is it becomes so much easier to just sort of buy into that bigger picture kind of, well, I accepted Jesus into my life and now I'm going to heaven and I'm, you just sort of go through the motions, right? And, and this is the automatic pattern. This is the sort of easy road, the road that just opens up. And it feels okay because everybody's sort of at the same place, except for when someone emerges and starts to talk differently and starts to question things that disrupt the system. Then we find out just how much of a group think we really are. And it disrupts us. And Jesus was that kind of a character who disrupt that kind of group dynamic. You know, what's interesting is even the groups that were group over here and group over here, that both hated each other and, and disagreed, they turned on Jesus together and they actually got together over this issue because he messed with both group thinking and that both were wide paths. 
don't mess with my, my group think. Yeah. This is kind of safe for me. It feels comfortable. I know the rules to the road. I know how the rules of this and how to succeed in this space. I know what's required of me. Don't mess with that. And Jesus comes in and he disrupts all these little groups. And his point is this. See, the narrow gate or the small gate is a gate that only one person can enter at a time. And that with difficulty, it was not a big gate. It was a small gate. It was a difficult entrance. You had to enter in individually. See, your path, your journey is one that requires that you end up answering the big question that Jesus asked his disciples. And that was, people are saying all sorts of things about me. What have you heard? And their response is this. When Jesus came to the region of, Je of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What do other groups say? I want you to think about that. Because as you begin to look at other groups, you start to realize there are groups that have group think. Some say this. Some say that. Some others say this other thing. And generally what happens is the most convincing voice in that group becomes the leader of that group. And a group forms around that and people just going to go, well, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. She sounds like she knows what he's, she's talking about. So we just sort of go along and I don't have to answer that question for myself. But Jesus turns to the disciples and says, the question I have for you is, who do you? Not whatever anybody else is saying. I want you to tell me who you think I am. That's the path, the, the narrow path, the small gate. And only one can enter it at a time. And, and Peter says, well, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's at this point, Peter gets it right. Of course, he gets it wrong, according to the next few verses. He, he starts to tell Jesus, no, you shouldn't go this way of the cross because that's not cool. That's not good for our thing that we're trying to build here. <laughs> and Jesus says, yeah, get behind me, Satan. That's the voice of the enemy. That's not, that's not the, the right voice. Right? So narrow gate. It's, an, it's, it's a personal journey. It's an individual journey, and it's one that is sometimes very lonely. When you begin your journey, where you authentically begin to ask the questions, what do I think? And by the way, you know when those moments come. Those moments are, come to you when difficulty enters your life, because then you're forced to ask the question for the first time sometimes, or for the first time in a long time, what do I actually think about this? See, as long as there's no difficulty, you don't have to ask that question. Everybody's walking with you. Cool, let's go on this journey. This is great. We're all together, safe. The enemy's out there. We're the in crowd. We're the group. We just kind of saunter along until something very painful happens to you. And then you begin to ask questions you never asked. And your eyes begin to open and you say to yourself, does, not it, does everybody else not see this? Yeah, really, you don't, you don't all see that what's going on is, who, who do you actually think God is? Who do you, what do you think about this issue? Like, you seem to all just sort of go along. You, you know, someone suffering over here, 
and no one seems to care. Like, are, we not, are we not awake to human suffering? Do we not care? Yeah, but well, they, they belong to a different group. That's, that's their, you know. They belong to a different group. They're human. Do you not, do, am, I, am I the only one here who's awake to this? And then you feel alone and tremendously lonely. And then if you dare to even push further, the group turns on you because now you're a disruptor. And so this is, the, this is what oftentimes happened in the ancient world and what was happening um, for Christians and for followers of Jesus throughout the centuries is whenever one of them began to speak up for the first time because they saw something, then the group started reacting against it. So what is this about always reacting or not being part of a group? Is that the message here? Not being part of a group. It's about being an individual. Good American message anyways, right? Rugged individualism. No, it, it's, it's not that. What it is is that on the individual, on that journey, on the personal path that you walk on, it's not a path that involves you walking alone for the rest of your life, but it's one that you have to enter in yourself. And as you enter into it, you will notice that there are others who have joined and who have entered into that path as well. And your community is formed around people who are on a path towards life. And that's what forms your community. Oftentimes we form a community because that feels safe first, but the community should be formed from you journeying towards life. And then other people join in with you because they're on the same path towards life. That's the proper way. It's value centered. It's what are my values? What do I think? What do I believe? What do I want as an end product, an end goal? What do I want from my life? Not what feels good in the moment, because it does feel good to have people always around you who sort of all agree with you and you're all fine with each other. But there comes a moment when that, doesn't, when that stops working and when you begin your own journey. Now, the new thing is, what are my values and what am I aiming my life towards? And as you begin to aim your life towards that, then other people who are on a similar path of their own join with you and say, now we're on this together. We got yes. I, I recognize you. You recognize me because we're both doing this thing. It's not about agreement, but it's about support in your own journey because you must follow the Christ yourself because that's where life is. So it's a personal journey. It's one that involves intention. If you haven't caught that already, it's very intentional. It's not this automatic pattern. It's what do I want for my life? Yeah. Um, I want you to, I'm going to show a video in a moment and, um, what I want to say about this, uh, last thing I want to say about this, this light, this, this path is that all of us want life. All of us want that quality of life, joy peace, love. We want that in our lives. But the way we go about seeking it, that's the two paths that these ancient thinkers and writers would use. You both want it. One side wants it, but what you want is you want life, but you want really what you want is you don't want to suffer in the immediate moment. And so you want the comfort. And so you seek that first. 
And there are two ways to meet needs, superficially or really deeply, because you have needs. One functions at the superficial level and the other is more deep. The superficial ones are, I don't want to suffer. The deeper ones is, I want life. The, 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 the superficial ones is, I want uh, sex, I want, uh, you know, romantic relationships, I want, um, the, the deeper one is, I want love. I want to be known and I want to be connected to somebody. Those are the deeper ones. And the deeper ones are the ones that are found through the small gate and the narrow path. And the superficial ones are found through the wide gate because everybody does it that way. It's easier this way. But if you walk the narrow path, here's the promise. The promise is you will find life every time and not just when you die and go to heaven. Now. Because Jesus promised this, I've come to give life in life to the full. Now, in this moment. But you have to enter that gate and you have to walk that path. And as you do so, there is difficulty, there is suffering, there is loneliness. But you start to discover a quality of life and joy and peace that you never knew was ever possible. And those who are on that path know, I can't get off that path. There are times I want to get off that path. It's a lot easier. But it's way too full of life. It's way too full of, I, I know I found the Christ. And the Christ has found me. I know that. So I can't leave it, even though at times it's difficult and it's tempting. Are you with me so far? So I wanted to introduce this series. It's, it's a bit conceptual. Next few weeks, we're going to get into more of the practical. And we're going to kind of look at the five, chapter five through seven, which are the Beatitudes um, that Jesus teach. And there's a whole thought to this thing, like the narrow path. This, these are the Beatitudes. This is how it works. So we're going to look at that. And we're going to look at very practical. Um, but this week, I wanted to keep it sort of at a higher level to just say, whatever this path is, it does not fit in the modern ways that we think and our ideologies in this world today. It does not fit in those camps. And what Jesus is calling us to, and this is where it gets the edge, and I'm fine with saying this is an edgy thing for, for you, is that whatever that's out there that we're falling into in terms of politics and ways of thinking in terms of forgiveness, that we don't tend to forgive easy and the culture doesn't want to do that. And all these other thoughts about race and, and, and it just, all of these things end up in the wide path. And there's a path that Jesus is calling his followers to, which is a narrow path and will stand outside of that, but it promises true life. And there are moments where we glimpse at it. And there's one that I want to show you of a recent event that took place that many of you know happened. It was covered big time by the news. And that was the shooting of uh, this young African um, American man named Botham Jean who was shot in Dallas by an officer who had just gotten off a double shift. And she comes, perceiving she's coming home, she drives her car up to the fourth uh, level of the garage, parking garage, instead of the third where she lived. She'd been texting back and forth with someone she was in love with and having an affair with, and was completely lost in that and probably exhausted from a double shift 
not really aware and present-minded, drives up to the fourth floor, walks into the hallway, does her normal turn as always, completely automatic pattern, and walks right up to the door of what she believed without even questioning was her apartment steps over a red doormat, bright red doormat that she did not have and doesn't even see it, puts her key card in the door slot and the door pushes open, which instantly terrifies her because that means her door has been broken and someone has, is, could be very, very well could be inside even at that moment. She opens the door and she sees the silhouette of a man that she says starts approaching her as she's saying, let me see your hands and fires two shots and kills him. This is a young man who was uh, worked as an accountant at a very large company and was on his way up. Part of the Church of Christ was on the choir there, a devoted follower of Jesus. Died. And she had done very little, in fact, in her own admission to revive him. She was so stunned in that moment, so shocked, so out of sorts. Whatever she says, this is her, her statements of, I was completely out of it. I was, you know, those sort of statements. Now, this is the sort of thing that unfortunately, it was very unfortunate that it happened. It's terrible, 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 terrible. But what immediately happens is that there are sort of pathways that begin to emerge. And if that's for me, tell them I'm preaching right now, but that's I'm sorry. <laughs> um, they, it, there are two pathways and these pathways are uh, clear to people. It's, it's automatically in one camp or another camp. And there's, of course, people, that's an exaggeration because people all over the place in all sorts of different places. But that tends to be what ends up happening. And certainly the communities were in an outrage and there was, a, there was a lot to be said about that, right? And yes, there's a lot of evidence um, around this case and he ended up being uh, convicted. Um, and, uh, and there was a moment, there was a moment where um, the family was able to speak and, and share their thoughts and feelings. And this video, captured the attention of America, and still there were people who were upset about even this. But this speaks to me of someone who in their own way decided to walk their own narrow path in the midst of what was easily divided in a way that you could have just separated and, and divided this thing out and made it this camp, that camp. That group, this group, this one against that one. So I'd like to show this to you and I hope I can. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die, 
just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. Okay, pretty powerful. Um, there's a whole lot more to this. Um, and there was a press conference that, um, that was done where one of the um, um, gentlemen who spoke um, for the family and the whole family and others were, were, were there. And uh, he said that what he did in that moment, he didn't know that he was gonna do this. He wasn't, at first he said he didn't want to. And then he did, and um, he thought the cameras were off um, because it was done, it was over. And, um, but what this individual said was that this was bordered on the miraculous because this almost never happens. And it changed the whole atmosphere of the courtroom, he said, that the judge was in tears, that the judge herself came down off the stand and embraced, um, Amber, the officer, um, and that uh, he said this almost no, this this never happens. That um, the uh, once the, the the verdict has been um, given and it's over, there is never a moment where you can touch the one who has been convicted and is is going away. You can't. They won't allow it. They'll pull you right out of court if you try. And so this was an exception, a huge exception to the rule. But you know what's interesting about it is it's because this was truly the third way, what's called third way. It didn't fit into anything that had ever been done before. And what he did and what he asked for was purely from the heart. It was led by love, not by anything else. It wasn't led by some perception, ideology, view of things. It was led primarily by compassion and love, something that Jesus lived out of and communicated constantly to us, live out of that. 
Don't live from what everything else that, you know, wants to hijack your thinking and pull you into these ideologies and pull you into these false battles because we don't fight against flesh and blood. And this is Paul's argument. Stop fighting against flesh and blood. Your warfare is not against these things. It's against something else. It's against these principalities and powers that are trying to hijack you, that are trying to pull you out of yourself and out of your truth and put you in these camps so that you fight against each other and you forget that you're battle is against something far, far greater than all of these things. Yeah. So this was a moment and it will not be soon forgotten. I would not be surprised if Amber doesn't find herself following Jesus. I would not be surprised if Amber does not find herself having a complete transformation of heart, mind, soul, spirit, everything. Because you could preach all day long. But when you act out of love and when you act out a third way and when you walk that narrow path that threatens so much because he knew, I mean, what he put himself into is a very dangerous place. Many people are going to criticize him for doing that. And he has been criticized for doing that. And if you walk the path of forgiveness and you walk the path, it's the third way. And this is not just about this issue. It's about a way of thinking that's going to guide our series, but should guide our lives from here on out. This is why when I look at the news and I, when I read these things, I can no longer do it. I, I read it and then I have to pull away. I have to pull back out and go, this stuff is trying to pull my mind and pull me into these places of hate, these places of rejection of one group of people. Now I hate liberals. Now I hate Republicans. Now I hate both. Now I, you know, hate myself. Now I, it's just this like constant, like I hate everything. And you don't know who to hate until you're told who to hate. And then finally you, you know, now I do because now I have a whole group that justifies why I should hate these other people. You know, it's, it's, it's just, and to think of like, if I were to see an immigrant, and even though there's all these th different views out there on how we should think about this in America, listen, policy is one thing, and I'm, you know, and it's important. But you know what? What's greater and what's more important is if you stand in front of somebody who is suffering and who is hurting, and your heart isn't moved, folks, there's something wrong with you. Not with your policy, with you. I'm not talking about policy. You got, I, I can totally understand different policies. I get it. I get, yes, you should. There should be some things we think about. Seriously. This is not about that. Justice needs to be had here for sure. Because there is a problem with racism in America. Absolutely. There's all kinds of problems we can point our fingers to. But folks, if we don't weep as Jesus wept. If we don't weep like he wept over Jerusalem, like he wept for those who were dying and suffering, if we don't heed the words of Paul who says, listen, we got to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. If our hearts aren't touched, then we are not on the right path. We have lost our way. And this is the thing that, that I feel so deeply moved by because it's true for me. I have to constantly look at my own heart and I see it getting hard at times. You know, even, even small infractions, things with my wife. Two weeks ago, something happens and, and I, and I harp, start to harbor bitterness and anger. And, it's, and I'm aware now, like, oh, wow, it's happening again. 
And then I'm not moved by her suffering anymore because I'm hurting because I suffered because she made me suffer over something stupid, a stupid little argument. You, you see what I'm saying? We gotta return. We gotta return to Jesus and return to our hearts. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Above all, there is no law that fits with those fruit of the Spirit. And that's what Paul finishes with in Galatians.